the truth about the end times next on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say let this world know me by your Are we in the end times? Most agree this world can't continue in its current state. Things will have to radically change or we'll destroy ourselves. It's a bleak outlook and the signs aren't encouraging, unless you know the truth about the end times. Well, it's revealed to us in scripture and that'll be our focus today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We've come in our study of the New Testament to Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. And in chapter two, we're told about the end times, that there's real hope, so we need not be troubled. Though things will get worse before they get better, in the end, Jesus wins. To tell us all about it from 2 Thessalonians, here's Pastor Ed. 2 Thessalonians chapter two, the first eight verses. Paul writes, now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, We ask you not to be so soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away or literally departure comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself as if he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's the good news. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are coming again. Help us to focus and understand what it is that you're saying in these verses. Speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this little cartoon, the end is near. No, it's here. I love the old story of the two pastors who were standing beside the road with a sign that they had made and showing it to cars. And it says, the end is near, turn around. And the first guy that going past, he stuck his head out the window and he said, you religious nuts, leave us alone. And about five seconds later, there was a tremendous splash. And the one pastor turns to the other and said, maybe we should just change the sign to say bridge out. (laughs) So end days, end times we're talking about. We've all read and heard that statement before the end is near. You may have noticed that on December 21st, 2012, the end of the world did not happen. That was when the Mayan calendar, you'll remember, said that the earth was gonna reverse its rotation, which is problematic in itself. But someone uh, recalculated it, of course, and added some leap years and came up with June 5th this year, 
didn't happen either. Nostradamus, the Middle Ages idiot, um, <laughs> supposedly predicted a catastrophic earthquake that would destroy the whole earth on May 28th last year. Didn't happen. Actually, this sign was in Times Square for the last two weeks. Is this the end? It actually is a good advertisement. It's for a book by a, a pastor. A Gallup poll said that 62% of Americans believe Jesus Christ will return to earth someday. Time magazine survey recorded 59% of Americans believe that the book of Revelation will happen as it's written. Millions upon millions of people have read the Left Behind series, 10 fictional books and novels written around the subject that we're looking at here international bestseller, a couple of movies, etc. Now, we're living in a time where it's difficult, particularly the last few months in our nation. Some people are struggling in, uh, with hope. I've probably had more questions about this election than any prior one. Let me try and encourage you. Number one, Jesus called us to be salt and light on the planet. So your job and mine as believers are to represent him as well as we can. But here's the main point. Jesus Christ is still on the throne. Yeah. Don't let your hope be attacked because of all the frustrating things that you see. Just rejoice. He is still God. He is still King of Kings, and he is the Lord of all lords. So this problem of no hope existed in this northern Greece city called Thessalonica in the first century. Now, you'll remember that Paul had visited there. You can read the story if you missed that. Uh, we went through the first letter and now the second one. It's, the story is recorded in Acts chapter 17. But Paul went to this city and he preached and the people responded. He was only there three weeks until they ran him out of town, the other people in town. So it was a short visit, but a strong church was established. But they're all new believers. A few weeks later, he wrote his first letter back to them. And in it, he was warning them about the difficult trials and struggles and suffering that they were going to go through. But he said, it's not the great tribulation. It's not the seven years of wrath, God's wrath poured out on the world. Every generation of the church has had difficulties, some persecution worse than others. The 20th century, I read, is the bloodiest century yet of Christians that have been martyred for their faith. But that's still not the great tribulation because it involves God's wrath on a world that had rejected him. Now, Paul said that very clearly in the first letter, if you were with us. In chapter 1, verse 10, he said, And to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come, this great tribulation. He said God didn't want them to face his wrath in chapter 5 of the first letter, verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometime after Paul left this letter through Timothy to them, other teachers came in and began to tell them the day of the Lord had come and they'd missed it. The rapture had come and they're standing there flat-footed and uh, without hope. And so they're greatly discouraged. Paul hears about that and this is the reason for this letter. Now, this second chapter honestly is often avoided by pastors and teachers. To me, it's a chapter of great hope. But if you grew up in a denominational church, you probably have never heard this taught before. So we're only taking a small section, just eight verses, and I'm going to throw an awful lot at you. If you'll stick with us through the book of Revelation, it'll all make sense because this letter, 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, and the book of Revelation are hand in glove but I hope to entice you to study some more and be like the Bereans that are just below the Thessalonians on the map. Uh, They were more noble. They went and looked to see if these things were true. So I challenge you to go study, to go look at this. It's prophecy, and and often we're put off by it, maybe because it's been 2,000 years and Jesus hasn't come yet but all the more reason to become experts in it. We all should study it. So three parts to this section. First three verses, don't be troubled. Have hope. Four through seven, there's a new world leader coming, and it's not good. And then the eighth verse, Jesus wins. Great summary the good news in the midst of the bad news, all right? So let's jump in and uh, fasten your seatbelts, put on your thinking caps, focus, and uh, let's uh, see what God might say to us all. First one, now, brethren, brothers and sisters, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you. So two things Paul says he's speaking about here. The second coming of Jesus Christ clearly prophesied 453 direct prophecies in the Old Testament and are gathering together. Now, in chapter 1, the rapture, the catching up, Jesus bringing all the believers to himself, and then Jesus stepping down onto the Mount of Olives on planet Earth, as two separate events. That's exactly what this verse is saying. Paul is being very consistent. This is called the day of the Lord. Actually, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It is not a 24-hour day. It is a period of time. And there are a lot of events that happen during this, this day of the Lord. The gathering together for him is the first one, the rapture. Now, The rapture is believed by every Christian who is a Bible-believing Christian. There are some differences in the way different people believe, but the fact of Jesus coming and gathering the saints is accepted by all. We saw it over in 1 Corinthians. We saw it in 1 Thessalonians. Here's the way Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. We shall not all sleep, our bodies sleep in the ground, our souls and spirit with Jesus. We shall not all sleep, 
but we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. I love that verse. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead bodies in Christ will be raised. Anastasis, dead bodies stand up. They will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed when Jesus comes. Some exciting scriptures under consideration today on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We wanted to pause here and acknowledge those who may be just joining us. Welcome. Now, before we go further in today's teaching in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we pick up with some of those exciting scriptures about the Lord's return for us. No question that chapter 4 is true, the first letter, verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed, go before those who are asleep. Their bodies are in the ground. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead bodies in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpezo in the Greek language, raptura in Latin, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, notice, in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So, no Bible-believing Christians question the fact of the rapture. Even though the Bible is very clear on this point, there are some cults that struggle with it. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe there is a rapture. They say it's not in the Bible, but they just haven't done their homework. Greek Bible, as I said, harpezo, the Latin Bible, raptura, the English Bible, caught up or rapture, some translations say it is in the Bible. It is the word and it is the concept that God wants us to understand. If you approach the Bible honestly and teachable, you will see this. But some Bible-believing Christians disagree about the timing of this event. If you recognize Jesus is coming in the clouds, as I read to you, and then we'll be caught up and meet him in the air, we're with him, we're in the air, and one group of people the largest group, I would say, believe that we're going back to heaven for the rest of the tribulation, seven years of wrath on planet Earth. Come back to that in a minute. But there are some who believe that we're going to meet him in the air, and then we're going to go over to the Mount of Olives with him, and the mountain's going to split in two, and there's a river that's going to run out, and it's going to go both down to the Dead Sea and to the Mediterranean Sea, and it will start the thousand-year reign of Christ. So that is the post-tribulation rapture, and I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, the first one. We're going to be caught up in the air, and we're not going to go back down right away. I mean, we just got the ride of our lives up into heaven, Let's go see heaven, Jesus says. No, we're having to go back down to the Mount of Olives. No, no. So, now, you don't have to agree with me. As I've said many times before, there are Bible-believing, intelligent people who believe otherwise than I do. But when we get to heaven, no, I'm going to be there going, I told you, that's what it said. 
So here are the scriptural certainties about Jesus' return. Number one, he will return in a personal, physical way. Acts chapter 1, the two angels said to the disciples, as you have seen him go into heaven, so will he come back physically, visibly. Second, his second coming will be surprising. Matthew 24, 44, in such an hour as you think not, Jesus said, the Son of Man comes. So he's coming physically, he's coming at a surprising time, and number three, his coming will not be private or in secret. In Mark 14, 62, the chief priests are questioning Jesus, and they said, verse 62, to Jesus, are you the son of the blessed, the most high? And Jesus said plainly, I am. And you will see the son of God coming in clouds and great glory. So Jesus is coming physically, it will be at a surprising time, and it won't be private or secret when he comes and touches down on the Mount of Olives. Every eye will see. Verse 2, Paul is still exhorting, encouraging, strengthening these young believers. They're a few months old in the Lord. In verse 2, he says, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of the Lord had come. So, Paul is concerned that they have become so soon shaken. Uh, shaken is in a passive voice, meaning that something from the outside hit them, as though the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, had happened. Paul had instilled in them the importance of Jesus' return. So, they were looking forward to it. But now they'd been misled that Jesus came, and they missed out. They'd missed the rapture. They were left behind, and they were struggling with that. Paul said, don't believe that. That's not true. I already told you. Don't be set off. Don't be spun out. Don't be shaken by spirit, word, or letter. Now, spirit is small s, three things. It suggests that someone stood up and gave a prophecy there at Thessalonica after Paul had left. Spirit, or by word, that suggests that somebody taught otherwise. And then by letter, as they're from us, Paul's saying there was a forged letter that came. When we get to the end of this letter, Paul says, see, I signed this myself, so you'll know that this letter is from me. But Paul is setting the record straight. He didn't write that letter. That's his point. And uh, you're being troubled. What's troubling to them? As though the day of the Lord had come. So they're upset because they've been told that they missed it. And uh, even though Paul had clearly said that in the first letter, that for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means go before those who are asleep. So they're thinking, well, why are we still here? The dead have already left. I'm sure no one dug them up, but we must have sinned. We must have had a bad thought, and we've missed it, left behind. Paul says, no, 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 no. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, capital D, the day of the Lord, will not come unless two things happen. The falling away, literally departure, comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, this is the New King James we're looking at, and uh, it is one of two possible translations, but the best translation is of this statement, falling away, should be departure. And it makes it very clear. It is possible to translate it the other way, and you'll see in a moment uh, why both are correct. They're probably both correct, and Paul used it on purpose. 
All the early English Bibles, Tyndale, Coverdale, the Geneva Bible, all use the word departing because that's exactly what this word apostosa means, or as they say, apostastia, five syllables, nice simple word, right? They translated it here, falling away. Two times in the New Testament is translated falling away as from the truth. And that's true, that will happen. But what it's really conveying, the Greek word that it comes from, apistemi, I'm giving you these words so it's on the tape so that you can go and look it up. I know some of you are right now on Google checking me out to see if I'm telling you the truth. Apistemi means to leave, to depart. As it is translated in Luke chapter 4, verse 13. Now when the devil, this is Jesus' temptation. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed, same word, from Jesus until an opportune time. So this translation should be unless the departure comes first. Greek scholar Kenneth Wiest, the most probably a renowned Greek scholar in modern days, says it should be departure. And so I'm not giving you some weird little you know, Redlands Packing House thing. J. Vernon McGee, Dr. David Jeremiah, Dr. John Walvoro, Chuck Smith. So I'm giving you just the center of the road here. But I encourage you to check this out and see if it isn't true. Because once you see departure, you go, oh yeah. The departure, the rapture is the starting gun for the great tribulation. That's exactly what's going on. Now the other translation is true, the falling away, because when you take a billion or how many there are of us, Christians out of the world, there's no hope left. They don't trust in Jesus. Well, some of my friends are going to go to my house and try and find my notes uh, because I've been telling them for a long time. Oh, no, that idiot was right. Uh, But everyone else is, they're going to have to put their faith in something else. A new world leader. Second part of this. The man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. So this is the Antichrist, although Paul doesn't use that word. He is the man of sin here, the son of perdition. One translation says the lawless one. He's called the beast in Revelation 13. Uh, Daniel 7 and 8 calls him the little horn. There's 50 different titles for this world leader that is the worst of the worst. Now, Antichrist is actually the Apostle John's term, and it doesn't mean against Christ as much as it does instead of Christ. He's going to say he's Christ. That's what this comes down to. So the day of the Lord, that period of time, cannot begin until the departure, number one, and number two, this guy is revealed, the coming of the man of sin. Okay, now here's the bad news, verse four. Who opposes and exalts himself. He's pretty stuck on himself. Above all that is called God, he thinks he's God. Or that is worshiped, read any other religion, so that he sits in the temple of God, read the definite article, the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, he thinks, all right? So he's going to put himself above every possible kind of God. Think Hindu, think Muslim, think Buddhist, think Krishna, think all of the possible gods out there. This guy opposes everything that's called God. 
He will not just be anti-Christ, but he will be anti-any other God, and he will forbid the worship of anything but himself. Fascinating insights Pastor Ed Ray has given us on the final world leader. There's more to learn about this leader, but also the return of the Lord, the true Messiah. And that will be our focus next week on Grow in Grace. If you missed a part of today's message, or you'd just like to hear it again, just go online to thepackinghouse.org. Or give us a call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. We're also on YouTube at Packing House Christian Fellowship. Your support of Grow in Grace is not only needed, but greatly appreciated. And those that do this month will send you Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. Maybe prayer to you is just something you do without much thought before a meal, or just another thing to cross off your to-do list. There's great power through prayer, and this book will help you elevate your thinking about it to see how it truly makes a difference. This guidebook provides believers with information about the most effective way to use prayer to better understand God's Word, fully appreciate divine power, and more deeply commune with God. Again, that's our way of saying thanks for your gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by Packing House Christian Fellowship. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your